Okay, before we start this episode, I want to sincerely thank all of you who took the time to send us your thoughts on the podcast. As you all know, we are at a point of transition as we bring on a new Artemis program manager, and I'm excited to put your feedback to good use in shaping the future of the Artemis podcast. Earlier today, I used a random number generator, which I know is not very sexy, but is fair to choose a winner from those of you that submitted a survey. Drum roll, please. Our winner of the $100 Isle Royale Outfitters gift card is Katie Schwartz. You'll receive the code in your inbox today. Thanks, everybody. Welcome to the Artemis Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Chance, and my guest today is Bethany Bethard. Hey, Bethany. Hey, thanks for having me. How are you doing today? I'm getting there, getting started with my day. <laughs> Yeah, I, so you just, before we hit the record button, you were telling me a little bit about um, your surroundings. Can you share that with our listeners? Yeah, so I actually homeschool my children. I have five kids, but four of them are homeschool age or school age. So um, three of them are pretty occupied and the other two are playing and entertaining each other. <laughs> so they're wild cards, basically. Yes, yeah, yes. <laughs> Understood. Um, and you live in Oklahoma? Yes. Yeah, so I've, I were from Oklahoma originally, and then my husband uh, joined the military after we were married. And then we've kind of been all over the U.S., but we're back in our home state currently. So that's nice. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. I uh, would love to know what is in your freezer for, especially in terms of a family of seven. We have a remnant of the cow elk that I harvested last year. Uh, not very much. And uh, we have some deer still that's hanging around and we have some duck. But uh, we're glad that the season started here in Oklahoma because we're going to need to fill it for the next year. Yeah, absolutely. Can I ask where you harvested your elk? Yeah, I was drawn here um, on the military installation. Uh, Oklahoma has... Um, some elk down in the Wichita Mountains, and uh, it's right next to the refuge. The refuge and the and the military installation are right next to each other, and so the refuge holds a state draw, and it's actually a once in a lifetime hunt. And um, the military installation they have different eligibility, and so um, like I harvested an elk last year, I can't draw this year. I'll have to wait until next year to see if I can get drawn. But um, they also have the herds kind of go back and forth. Oh, that's super cool. That's why I asked because we actually recorded an episode not terribly long ago um, with one of our ambassadors in Oklahoma, Alyssa Bowen. She got drawn yeah. uh, for that hunt and actually was able to harvest a cow. So that's really cool. Yes. Yeah. I, I know her. And, and so when we she got drawn and I also got drawn around the same time, we had kind of talked back and forth about it. Nice. Well, that's very exciting. I don't know. Can you, sorry, I'm getting a little off track, but I'm very interested. What, can you tell us what that hunt was like? Oh, so I had actually got drawn earlier in the season for um, an either sex tag and it was archery. And so um, how they do the base hunting is they break up the whole base, the hunting, the hunting compartments into smaller zones and you have to stay within that zone. So you can literally glass an elk herd like right across from you and you can't cross mm. that imaginary line. And so uh, they actually put six archery hunters in the same zone. And uh, I seen elk, but there was the bull never came out. And uh, we just kind of got to watch him. But I, I got drawn later in the year for a um, gun tag and I only got a cow tag. And so that was actually a solo hunt. And I went out by myself and I pretty much had the compartment to myself because they had troops in the zone at the same time watching equipment so they're kind of on their side and I was hunting another side and uh it was an interesting morning I got to watch two shooter bulls one five by five and a six by six just graze across <laughs> the, 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 that morning I had a cow tag and I was like oh no I'm only gonna see bulls all morning and uh but yeah that evening I actually got to um I I seen her come out of her bed and I, I watched her for a while. I actually got to see her drink water. You like, you stay by a pond and never actually see him drink water, but no, yeah. she actually went and drank water and yeah, uh, it was a really good hunt and empowering to do it on your own. For sure. Gosh, how did the pack out go if you were by yourself? So you're able to uh, call a recovery team. Oh, okay. So it's nice. actually in the rules that you're uh, for the gun that you're solo. 
And so um, they have a 50 page regulation on top of state regulations for <laughs> the military installation. <laughs> yeah. So um, there's a lot of rules. It's, it's kind of like public land hunting with a twist because there's troops there and, you know, no, no baiting, no cameras. It's all scouting and signs. Um, but yeah, I was able to call my husband and thankfully where I got her was close to an old military access road. So we were able to pull, uh, my truck right up to it with the trailer and you have to go actually weigh them in and they have their own biologists that ages them and all those things for you. Um, so they can keep a really good track of their, their, um, their herds there. How old was your cow? Uh, they did. I didn't even catch the age, but she was 297 pounds hanging weight. She was mm. humongous. So she was several year old. Um, and, uh, they said that they expected that she had several calves before. So, um, I was checking in paperwork while my husband was talking to the biologist. Cause you, they, like I said, they very heavily regulate. They make sure that you can't go the next year. If you're yeah. a spouse, you can't get redrawn. It's every other year. And mm. so, um, they make sure that they have that written down. <laughs> Sounds like a little bit of a whirlwind of paperwork there at the check station. Yes, it is. So the other thing that I'm curious about, you mentioned uh, some duck in your freezer. How mm-hmm. do you manage duck hunting with five kids? <laughs> so duck hunting is new to me. I was on a mission when I moved back to Oklahoma. It's like, I want to get into hunting here. Um, you know, as a mom, I kind of had a season where obviously I was pregnant, nursing, newborn, and mm-hmm. a, a really short period of time. So I really didn't get out hunting. And um, when I moved back, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this for me. And so I got involved with a group here in Oklahoma. Um, that's uh, Oklahoma Women in the Outdoors. And I met some amazing women. And uh, my friend Destiny actually is the women on the wing coordinator. She was like, I love duck hunting. And I was like, you know what? I want to be an all around, you know, outdoors woman. So teach me. And Mm. so she runs dogs and uh, she was like, come on. And I fell in love with it, obviously. So uh, I went a couple of times with her and uh, we harvested a good amount of ducks. But I, you know, thankfully being back in Oklahoma, we have family that kind of jumps in and helps. And when my husband is home, he will watch the kids so I can have that opportunity to hunt. Um, but my kids actually came hunting. Uh, two of my boys came with us um, duck hunting. They just come and they like to sit around and, and, you know, they're getting where they're wanting to shoot and do stuff too. So sometimes they're not always in the picture, but they come. Yeah. That's awesome. Teamwork. Teamwork makes the dream work. I, yes, uh, yes. this earlier this week, um, we had a deer camp, an Artemis deer camp, and I brought my daughter. She's 16 months old, and it was a disaster. <laughs> it wasn't a disaster. The first two days were great, um, but after that, she was so short on sleep from missing naps that she just fell apart. So um, there was one morning where my husband stayed home um, and watched her, and I was able to go hunting by myself, and that was really great. Yeah. So that's good. Um, can it's you nice when they get a little bit older and they can be a little bit more quiet or just at least sit for a little bit longer? I can imagine taking my two year old right now. Yeah, it's I mean, it's a lot between the snacks and the diapers and the wipes and the water. Luckily, she figured out how to drink out of the camelback. So that was oh, easy. Nice. <laughs> but yes. um, she fell asleep in the carrier for a little bit and that helped. I was walking. I was not sitting. Um, yes. I actually I had plans to sit in a blind but I didn't think through them. And at the last minute, I realized that if I drew my bow sitting in the blind and she was at ground level, I wouldn't know exactly where she was. Like there's potential for her hands to be in strength. So we didn't opt for that. But anyway, all right. You have shared a a nice little vignette of your life as it is now. Um, I wonder if you can share with us a little bit more about kind of who you are and maybe, yeah, just your story in general. Yeah, so uh, my name is Bethany. <laughs> now, I, uh, I'm a military wife. My husband's in, been in the military for 12 years now. Um, I have five children. I homeschool them. Um, with the military life, are, it's constantly changing, but homeschool is kind of that thing that's, like, steady. Um, and so my kids are in and out of different schools. And, um, yeah, I grew up around... I say around hunting, I come from a long line of hunters. Uh, 
I have pictures of my great-great-grandpa, and I love that. I can kind of go back and see each generation and kind of see what their, um, I guess, what their more their passion was. Like, my great-great-grandpa was more of a trapper. He ran dogs. We had a lot of pictures of him with his hides and dogs. And then my great-grandpa was more of a fisherman. But my grandfather, um, he was the most probably influential on my life on hunting and um, he was a big game hunter, mostly muzzleloader. He has four Boone and Crockett records in Arizona. Wow. And um, yes, and he, every time he came out to visit, we were doing some type of rabbit hunting, making jerky the old-fashioned way. And um, I got a lot of knowledge growing up, but nobody really took me, you know. I went hunting maybe a few times with my dad um, that I can remember. I grew up on 55 acres, so small game, predator hunting, that was just kind of like farm things. Mm-hmm. Um, but no one really took me deer hunting. I learned a lot of like butchering after the fact. And so when I got to be an adult, I said, you know what, like I want to do this. And, um, yeah, my husband's been supportive. He's, he didn't grow up hunting either, but he actually got a mentor in the Marine Corps that really took him under his wing and we got a, a deer lease with them. And so, mm-hmm. uh, we just kind of set our own path, but that's kind of how I got into it and, and who I am. And yeah. That's okay. That's amazing. I have a lot of questions from that. Okay. <laughs> Number one, I'm curious, how do you make jerky the old fashioned way? So I actually, it's just like the drying. I've actually posted this on my Instagram. I think I have a video of it, but I, um, my grandpa would save the stainless steel screens from like old screen doors hmm. and he would have the meat slice lunch meat thin. And sometimes you have to kind of, you know, tenderize it. And um, he would, you know, salt, pepper, and you just put it out when it's really hot. You have to, it has to be like hot and dry it. And in the Oklahoma heat, thankfully, it's really nice. It can dry um, fast. And so if it's really hot, it's like a day and it will be done. Um, yeah. And you just, and the salt is the key because the salt is what keeps it from spoiling. That's so cool. I suppose the um, low humidity is also a factor in Oklahoma. Yes. I, so I feel like if I tried that here, it would get moldy. So it's actually pretty humid here in Oklahoma. And oh, I actually okay. made it in Florida, but it took two days to dry. Wow. Okay. Um, so I should give it yes, a shot. And so, yes, you should definitely. And my grandpa, I mean, obviously he lived in Arizona, so it, it was easy for him to, to make it. But it's just another way to preserve um, without having, you know, if you didn't have electricity, you could definitely do it. Yeah. I'm, I'm very interested in food preservation techniques that don't require, I mean, electricity for sure, but you know, I'm trying to get away from using the freezer any way that I can just because I don't know, it's more energy. And I also like the minimal effort as far as processing goes. Like this year I had a big garden, spent a lot of time canning. Don't want to do that again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can too. And I, it's definitely like I put off canning days. <laughs> yeah, it's hard because it's beautiful weather. You want to be yeah. outside. So, yeah, I, th- I think next yeah. year I'm going to focus on uh, storage varieties of vegetables that I can just put like in a root cellar, like pull them out of the garden, yeah. put them down there. Good to go. Yeah, We'll see how that goes. Um, <laughs> there was something else that you mentioned that I wanted to ask about and now I have I've since lost it. Eh, it'll come back to me. Okay. Um, so obviously you have put a good amount, you and your husband, it sounds like collectively have invested quite a bit of time into learning about hunting and becoming skilled at it and just doing it aside from food, which it sounds like is probably pretty central um, to your way of life. Why is it so important to you? Yeah. So definitely food. I, I, want to bring back the connection to your food, Mm. you know, and, um, you know, I feel like that's uh, something that's lost in America. Um, so that's important to me, but I, I come from, like I said, generations of hunting and, you know, the heritage of hunting, making sure that's passed on to the next generation. And I love looking back at these pictures and, you know, I will never know my great, great grandpa, but, what I do know about him is the hunting legacy that he left. And so uh, just to be a piece in that chain is important to me. And knowing that I actually left a skill to my children um, 
that they can provide for themselves is, is important. So I really cherish my heritage and I also cherish the responsibility of passing it on and kind of, you know, carrying that torch. Sure. Yeah. Both sides. I, that's mm-hmm. so cool that you have knowledge and photos of, um, you know, your ancestors hunting. I don't have that outside of, you know, like my immediate, like up to my grandfather, I'm familiar with how he spent time or still spends time in the outdoors. Um, but I'm curious what, first of all, what kind of, um, time frame are, so your great, great grandfather, like what years do you think? Oh my goodness. Like it would have to be. So my grandpa was like, you know, 1940s, he was born. So then like okay. his dad. So like, I mean, we're talking about like, it's like in the forties, you know, early 1900s. Yeah. I mean, my great, great grandpa, That's those true. pictures. Yeah. I mean, I know that he, he was a trapper. And so he, he ran, he ran dogs. Most of the pictures that we have, um, you know, it's like Mexico, Arizona area, lower Texas. Um, and he was well known. I actually believe he used to go to like Mexico and help trap over there too. Like oh, he would wow. be like hired. And so, um, yeah, he, he was a trapper and then my great grandpa was a fisher and <clears throat> I actually met him growing up when I was like a baby, obviously, but, mm-hmm. um, he, he did a lot of fishing and then, um, and then my grandpa did a lot of hunting. I mean, I wish I could ask like the questions now, you know, yeah, sure. uh, how did you, how did you put in for all these tags? How did you drought? You know, he, he traveled, my grandpa went to like Alaska and, and Wyoming and like all these places. And I'm like, you know, it's, it's so hard because sometimes like learning all the red tape of like different States and drawing and license and all the things, you know? And so I wish I could have him to ask now. Yeah. That would be a very interesting conversation. I will say, I know back in those days, there was not very much red tape. <laughs> yeah. There were yes. Er- yeah. Yes. I think it was easier for him to go out of state because Arizona, they draw like most all their tags are, you have to get drawn. Yeah. And so, um, I know. Yeah. It was probably not as much as it is now. <laughs> so regulated, but I mean, it's good. I mean, we, it's, it's, it's better in conservation, but sure. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, yeah. do you know what uh, type of dogs he ran and kind of how that played into trapping? Cause the way I think about trapping now is like, you don't really have dogs, right? Yeah, so he, I think he just, he would run dogs for certain things, and then he would also trap, because I know he did mountain lions, gotcha. so they ran dogs. Um, I know um, they look like short-haired dogs, like hounds. Mm-hmm. Um, I Definitely they're hounds, and some of the pictures, they're different dogs, and so uh, I don't think they're all, like, purebred or anything, but definitely hounds and short-haired pointers. I know that I have a couple pictures, I'm pretty sure he has some short hair. Um but yeah, I know they did a lot of mountain lion running um, mm-hmm. because they talk about that and stuff. So I've actually reached out to one of our last like oldest living relatives and asked her because she knew him. Oh, and cool. I was like, I would like to get some stories or information if you have any. So uh, she said she thinks she could get me some stuff put together. So uh, yeah, it's really interesting. And uh, and then my grandpa, obviously, my he only had three girls. And so his, he passed on all of his legacy through like my mom and her sister. And, um, it, so I love that too, because it was never about like, this is a boy thing, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, this is, this is our heritage thing. Yeah. And so, um, I I really, I love that. And that, you know, I, I knew my grandpa growing up and, uh, he passed away when my oldest was born. But, uh, so I, I have a lot of knowledge just from him telling me, and he obviously has a lot of pictures and, I can look up his Boone and Crockett records and things like that. Yeah. Wow. So did, does your mom hunt now or like when you were growing up, did she hunt? No, my mom really didn't hunt whenever I was growing up either. So she was, she grew up in Arizona. And so moving to Oklahoma, whenever I was five, when we moved here, uh, it was a totally different style of hunting that she had, you know, cause it's timber mm-hmm. <laughs> and plains compared to Arizona. Everything's, you know, glassy and spot and stock and stuff. And so she really didn't hunt growing up. And I think that was also something, the reason like I didn't really hunt growing up. I learned a lot if my, if my dad would hunt and he would bring back something. My mom actually did all the butchering. Mm. And so I learned how to do that because my mom did that. And so, yeah, she's actually, now that we're older, she goes and she's hunted some and stuff. Um, but I think I was just, 
she just didn't really hunt really growing up and sure. and uh and so yeah I that's why I was like and you know I think a lot of times she's like you know I was just a mom and so I taught you what I could and so I did learn a lot of knowledge about it and I that's why I was like you know this is something that I'm passionate about is just because we're mom doesn't mean we lose our identity you know I have mm-hmm. five and I want to encourage moms you know it doesn't look like some of these women that we see that get to go out all the time, but one hunt, you know, you know, every once in a while, or, you know, we can cherish that, savor it, you know, take all the pictures, post about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You I know. love that. I think that becoming a mother and, um, letting go, have, having being forced to let go of some parts of your mm-hmm. former self and navigating yeah. how to hold on to, other parts and maintain them is definitely a, it's a learning curve. <laughs> it's definitely. Yes. And it's a balance for sure. You know, I, I'm full swing football right now. It's consuming my life <laughs> with my son <laughs> and mini cheer and everything else. And so, you know, people, I get, I just got asked this yesterday on social media. They're like, how do you juggle everything? I don't feel like I can get out in the outdoors at all. And I'm like, sometimes I don't. Like sometimes I just don't. And -hmm. sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm doing this for me and I have, I'm going to make it happen. And it doesn't always go exactly the way I think it's going to happen, you know? Um, but, and sometimes that means hunting solo. And I know a lot of women don't like to do that or maybe it's intimidating. And so I really try to speak about, you know, safety as a hunting solo looking into, you know, different things because, um, sometimes that's just kind of how, you make it work. Yeah, absolutely. I so I know that you are not only passionate about getting out in the field and hunting, but also about conserving the resource. Mm-hmm. Can you yes. talk a little bit about how I mean obviously this sounds like it's a part of your heritage as well. Um but can you talk about that? Yeah, so actually all of my children are also on the Choctaw Native American role through my husband. And so living down in, I mean, being here in Oklahoma, obviously, but living down by the refuge, there's buffalo. And so we, we actually went on this huge, like, American buffalo journey last year and learned about all, how they were almost extinct and how they brought them back. And actually, all the buffalo in the United States pretty much came from a herd that was raised and preserved on the refuge here in Oklahoma. And... Um, teaching my kids about like how conservation is so necessary. And then looking back through my generations and wanting to, you know, I want to be able to hunt still. I want my kids to be able to hunt still. I want my grandkids to be able to hunt still. And so um, really teaching my kids about that and myself and getting more involved with that um, is really important to me. Cause I think that, you know, we, we don't really look at it as like an overall resource. So I really try to, Pay attention to what the you know wildlife department has really been posting a lot about doe management. We have so many does here in Oklahoma, and uh, I, I tell my friends all the time, like I will do doe management on your property if you do not want to. <laughs> free <laughs> you service. Know, I need to, I, yes, I will. Um, and we're actually seeing a lot of late fawns. Like I even have mm. on a camera, I have several spotted fawns, and that means that the doe herds are so large they're not getting bred yeah. in the rut season. They're getting late rut happening, and so now we are getting like this surplus. And so. Um, obviously everybody likes the trophy, but at the end of the day, I like my freezer full too. And, um, and, uh, our resources are obviously dwindling because there's more city and there's more, you know, and farmland and, and ranch land here in Oklahoma, um, that it's important for us to manage so that the resources for the habitats don't just get depleted. Yeah. Especially after the summer we had, cause it was so hot. I mean, over a hundred temp for several weeks. We seen that in July. It was so early, like pretty much everything was like dying. People's been having to bring in hay because their grass fields weren't producing for their cows. And so if we're seeing that for farm animals, our wildlife are definitely taking a hit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something, I don't know if folks think a lot about, I mean, we think about uh, cold weather, winter stress on northern populations of animals, ungulates in particular. Um, but in places like Oklahoma that are, you know, parts of it at least are arid. And if you, the late, late summer anywhere really 
it's kind of a stressful period. Like there's not a ton to eat um, for ungulates. And then if you compound that with like heat stress and drought, yeah, that can be really bad. Yes, yes. So I, I definitely um, think that our biologists are doing a really good job at trying to put that information out there so people see it and notice it. Um, and so uh, hopefully um, we'll see some rain <laughs> coming <laughs> up and stuff so that we can get some of these habitats flourishing again. For sure. I also love that you talk about um, going on this buffalo journey because I coincidentally have been on a little buffalo journey of my own. I mentioned this on a recent episode. I read a book called The Time of the Buffalo. um, And it's it's amazing. Highly recommend to anyone who's interested. And it, it chronicles kind of what you talked about, like the the rise and really the fall um, of bison in North America in conjunction with um, the indigenous communities that relied on it either exclusively or, you know, on the margins of the tall grass prairie, maybe to a lesser Mm -hmm. extent, but it's just fascinating. And that's one of the things I always, I've always thought was so interesting about homeschooling is that you can kind of like... I, I guess and this is what I think. I've never homeschooled anyone. That um, um, <laughs> you can, you know, meet the criteria that you need to while going on kind of like your own adventure that you choose. For sure. For sure. I think that um, you definitely have the freedom to um, go down the rabbit hole <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and chase interests. You know, a part of our homeschool, you know, we do the regular core subjects, but we also do a nature study. Mm-hmm. And um, that's probably most homeschoolers that do nature studies, favorite part of school. And I even have a nature journal that I do with the kids and we study all types of stuff, types of trees, types of, you know, insects and stuff. But we kind of took that with living here in Oklahoma and the Buffalo. And, um, we live actually in Comanche County, Comanche were solo. They would chase the Buffalo herds. And so, um, uh, we learned a lot about not only the indigenous culture at the same time as learning about, the buffalo and um it's just really interesting to see and and learning that there's only a small amount of wild buffalo that still exist mm-hmm. um and so uh yeah it's really interesting i i highly recommend people looking into it as well because i think that kind of brings more of a connection you know people are like how can you still hunt if you're a conservationist and so i'm like well they go a conservationist and a hunter should be the same yeah, hopefully. person. <laughs> yeah. yeah, hopefully. <laughs> because, you know, you are not only managing the herd, but you're also funding the conservation that are, you know, mm-hmm. and you're like the most eyes on the ground. Like you're seeing the effects of overpopulation or a hurt habitat, you know, and yeah. so, um, yeah, it's it's interesting, but I, I really preach that to a lot of people, like you should care about, you know, conservation just as much. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you have a very well-managed classroom, by the way. (laughs) Well, thankfully, some of our school, the kids watch uh, like a pre-recorded lecture and then they do their independent work. And so this year has been a change. I don't have to teach every single subject. Some of my kids I do, some of them I don't. So um, I just have to do a lot of the grading work and and inputting and and answering questions if they have it. So Gotcha, gotcha. Well, we are going to take a quick break to hear from one of our partners. Artemis is teaming up with Proas for an amazing giveaway during the month of November. We're giving away an entire outfit, including a trial pack, Tori pants, Tori jacket, cap, and a Tintry 2.0 shirt. The goal of this giveaway is to grow the social support network that exists for sportswomen. And all you have to do to enter is film and post a super short reel of yourself talking about what you're gonna do to enhance the social support that exists for sportswomen. So head on over to our Instagram or our Facebook for the specific guidance. Um, You need to follow Artemis and Proas as well as use the hashtag supporting women afield in your post. Um, We'll link to that guidance in the show notes. So make your video today, post it, and enter to win this incredible, incredible giveaway. And we're back. So Bethany, we've been talking about a lot of really interesting stuff. Uh, I 
want to pose the question now, what do you wish people knew about your experience and the places that you hunt um, that they might not know already? Oh man. Um, definitely my experience. So I'm biracial. I'm half white, half black. And, um, I think that it's important that, you know, representation matters. Mm -hmm. I've had so many people reach out to me over social media. That's one good thing about social media is I've been connected with beautiful people. Um, and I've had mothers and I even had a guy who said, my niece, I came across her page. I showed my niece, she's biracial as well. And she's a country girl. She feels like she doesn't fit in. You're her favorite account. And, um, I have people message me all the time and I, and it really, um, pulls on my heartstrings some because I'm like, you know, I wish that I had that whenever I was 12, whenever I was going through a time where I'm like, man, I just feel like I'm the only one out here. And it's really hard to pave that path. And so seeing more of the outdoor industry show more of that is important. And so it's really hard. Like the outdoor industry, you know, people make it seem like it's just easy to get into and like, oh, I'm just going to be a influencer or hunter person. But <laughs> it's not that easy. And especially whenever you, you come at it with, um, a purpose and morals and ethics and things. <laughs> not and, just flash. Uh, yes. Yes. And, uh, it's important to me to show that other side of it, but I want people to know that, you know, there is a tradition behind, you know, there's a heritage behind just who I am. And, but I also want people to see that, you know, you can be a person of color doing this. And there's actually so many out there. There's so many accounts, you know, Hunters United Project was, you know, just hounds. Like they, all of them teach tradition and they're all hunters of color and stuff. And um, even in the indigenous community, it's important to see that. And I think that if more, if that's why it's like pushed so more of these brands to kind of show that diversity mm -hmm. um, because there's, there's, the younger generation of hunters that are going to continue this, that are going to be the conservationists when you're 90 need to see that there's more people out there and encouraging, especially young girls to get out there and be their own person and do it. Um, and one girl I know, like her family, her mom messages me all the time. Nobody hunts in her family. Her parents don't hunt. And she's out here and she is like a rock star. She's been on like the Duck Commander podcast and she is such amazing. And her mom's always like, this is your mini me. Like she's telling me all the time. And I love it. I love whenever she messages me because um, I'm like, I can't wait to see where she goes. And I just love that I can be that inspiration to her to keep going. Like there is, I can do this because I can see it. You know, mm -hmm. you can't be it if you can't see it. Yeah. Yeah, that's important to me. And where I hunt, um, I run into comments a lot. <laughs> People think that the so the military installations across the United States, most of them have hunting, all the regulations are different. Some of them, civilians can hunt, some of them can't. And so the one in Oklahoma is heavily regulated. And there is special eligibility, even for me, like I said, as a spouse, I, I have limits on what I can do. Um, and I just get comments like, oh, it's a once in a lifetime hunt in Oklahoma if you're drawn to get a, a to harvest an elk. And um, I'm like, well, it's a benefit, one, like two thirds of my marriage, my husband has been gone. So yeah. if I can have one benefit, but two, <laughs> it's, it's really hard. You know, it's it, there's no cameras, there's no baiting, there's troops that could have been in the area the day before. So human scent is just constantly around. Um, and, and so trying to intercept the animal. I mean, I've done countless sits where I haven't seen anything. Um, and so it, it's definitely, it's, it is hard and they regular, they have a, um, an earn a buck program. Mm -hmm. So like last year I killed a young buck and they, I could, I was not eligible to kill a buck the rest of the year. I only could kill two does. And so their harvest limit's also smaller than the state's. Um, so you can get like six overall if you hunted all of the seasons in Oklahoma. So you only could get, now it's it's three if you kill a small buck. If you kill one that's over, I believe it's two and a half. They might have changed it to three because they just did a new regulation publishing. Uh, then, because like I said, the biologist ages it. Then you have to harvest two does before you could go for another buck. Wow, so you really and, have to earn a buck. Yes. So it, that's what they call it. It's an earn a buck program. And it is, um, 
so it's not as easy. It's not this honey hole that everybody, I mean, it is a honey hole. I'm just saying that they have the, their department has done an amazing job. I have seen like, I mean, their bulls are amazing that they have their, their elk herd is thriving. The deer herds are amazing. And they've actually, um, Oklahoma's seen a really big decline in turkey population and they have stopped turkey hunting. Um, they do no fall turkey for the last four years that I know of. Um, and they have only done youth turkey hunts in the spring um, because their numbers, they're trying to bring their herds back to size. So, um, yeah, it, it is a good place to hunt. But at the same time, I mean, you're working for it a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think I just learned about um, hunting in conjunction with military installations in the last year. I didn't realize that that was a thing. And I thought, how wonderful. I mean, really, this, these lands need to be managed. The wildlife populations need to be managed anyway. Um, and then, you know, like for a military family, if you're moving around from place to place, it takes a long time to get good at hunting a place. I mean, I yeah. know there's people on the internet that just like go across the country to public land and kill stuff, but that's not reality for most of us. Like, you need to have boots on the ground and really spend some time in a place and understand it well to be able to really take advantage of it. So I feel like, I don't know. I think this is just makes perfect sense. And I love that folks like you get to take advantage of it. And it's really hard to like, you know, like you said, like even like getting acquiring land, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much public land here in Oklahoma, but down in the Southwest where our base is located, um, there's not that there's no public land over there. So you actually have to travel um, thankfully Oklahoma does have a land access program where private landowners can offer their land as public land. It's called OLAP. Um, and, um, but a lot of times like the, they'll cut the fields and things like that. Like they're allowed to do that every so often. And so it's still hard. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that they offer that in the military and thankfully, here in Oklahoma, it's been amazing for me. Um, but yeah, they actually, some military installations work with the state and their wardens come on and off. But for here, they actually have their own wardens, their own biologists, their own whole like organization. So it's, I believe over 92,000 acres that they manage. Wow. Yeah. That's a big chunk. Yes. Yes, it is. So do you think you'll ever get to go on a bison hunt? Oh man, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I would love to, but you know, it would just depend. You know, it's it's a lot to build. One, if you want to do wild bison, it's like Alaska, mm. <laughs> and they only do like twelve tags, I think. Um, and so it's really, I don't know if you've ever looked into wild bison hunting in Alaska. Um, I haven't. Very I've... heavily regulated. I've written off bison hunting for my lifetime, probably, but yeah. <laughs> just yeah, since we were on the know. topic. I mean, unless I was like, got some like miraculous way that put me into doing it. I don't know if I would, I mean, there's a lot of other hunts that I would rather pay to go do, you know, or for overseas sure. hunting or something before I would pay to go get a bison. So yeah. uh, I would rather do like, you know, red stag or something, you know, like Ooh, that'd be something. Cool. Yeah. I would rather do something like that than go and get a farmed buffalo. I would not feel the greatest about oh, that. Oh, yeah, so. no. No, I did not mean farmed. Yeah. I, I no, don't. it's really hard to get wild buffalo. And a lot of you have to hunt a lot of waterways in in Alaska and mm. stuff. And I just, it's very, yeah, it's 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 not easy. Yeah. <laughs> so, not like it used yeah. to be, according to the book that no, I read. <laughs> no, not, yeah, not, no, not at all. Not at all. So I'm curious, have you ever lived internationally with your husband's job yeah well not technically internationally we lived in hawaii for three years okay um so uh yeah we lived there and that's kind of when i started saying like okay like i would really like to get into hunting uh where we lived they have wild boar in um in hawaii on oahu and there was a military installation that would allow archery hunting i never got to uh, hunt there. I've seen them a couple different times. So I actually had my rotator cuff uh, ripped in half when I was in 
high school and it was repaired. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of marked off like compound bow hunting for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I hunt with a crossbow now and I have about like 85 to 90% like usage. And so my husband's like, we should just like build up the strength, you know? And so he wants to get into um, compound hunting. And so I'm like, okay, well maybe if I just got like a used buyer, I hate to like invest <laughs> so much, but I was like, if you do it, I'll try it. Like I, I would like to get into it. Um, so uh, yeah, that's going to be a journey, but that was, there were certain regulations in Hawaii and I just kind of, and I also had a baby there. Mm. So that was also like a hindersome at the, cause I just in a little newborn. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was nice living there. Interesting. I've never been to Hawaii. It's on the list for sure. It's, Beautiful. I would definitely wish I would know more about like the axis hunting when I was there. Oh yeah. They have axis deer, huh? Yeah. And Lanai and it's, they're so overpopulated that, uh, the harvest rate is pretty high. And I was like, man, we could have done that. (laughs) Could have lived off of axis deer. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would, I don't, sorry, I'm stumbling over my words. I feel like, You haven't talked, you haven't talked very much about a lot of specific experiences in the field. And I would love to hear about one or even two of your favorite moments in the field. Um, okay. So I actually last year, um, was going hunting for deer and I had not seen deer at all. And actually I had elk herds were all around me. And, um, I always talk about, you know, walking in, in the dark, it's like pitch black and you can hear elk running around you and you're just like, this is the day I get trampled. (laughs) Um, no. And it was just like, I was so devastated because I didn't harvest anything for archery. And then I'm like, here I am. And they're like in shooting range. And, um, so that was really interesting to just kind of just fall in love with, like you're there you fall in love with the animal Hmm. and really was my first experience of like, here I am watching this species that I've been, you know, chasing for months and, you know, scoping and watching. And I did get drawn, didn't get one. And now I'm here hunting another animal and they're, and I really just got to watch them interact. And I'm like, this is another part of hunting. This is another why we're out here just to watch and and love this animal you know and so um that was a kind of a a full circle moment for me I feel like just being uh, you know just I'm not gonna harvest anything today because they're scaring off all the deer but they're (laughs) a little red but I get to just savor this moment so I just pulled my coffee out of my family them and and it was it was a good experience um and I think another time I, uh, I went duck hunting, it was last year and it was literally like sleeting rain <laughs> mm. and my, I had two of my boys with me, they were freezing and they ended up going actually sitting in the car later, but I'm like, you know, here we are, like we're suffering, <laughs> praying for this. But we still had, I mean, we all, we, we, we shot limits that day and, uh, it was just so fun. Like, this is, this is what it is. Like, this is really it, you know, like I, my shotgun that hasn't been cleaned all season. (laughs) I actually got some love after that, you know? Um, no, I, I think those are kind of like the moments that I cherish the most is like the suffering moments or the moments that I didn't harvest anything. Um, and I like talking about those probably the most and just like harvesting, but, uh, no, my most cherished moment is when I harvested that first elk because I had worked that day. I hiked, I had, you know, it's not hiking. Like you think Colorado, the Wichita Mountain less and here in Oklahoma. Um, yeah, I had hiked all day and, uh, I just, I was like, this is, you know, the evening hunt. And so sometimes when you, Another thing about hunting the military installation is if you get drawn, you actually have to go back at noon to get drawn for the next day. It's mm. a one day. Okay. And the, but the gun hunts are 
weekend. You get drawn on Friday and you get the weekend. And if somebody harvests a, a different zone, you can go back and check at the station and try to trade for a different zone. Um, so only 23 people out of like 400 that day got drawn and I was one of them. And uh, yeah, just knowing like waiting, calming myself, like, cause she was drinking. I'm like, I have to wait for her towards me to yeah. take a better um and I actually harvested her with a custom 270 that my grandpa had made my dad oh, and wow. that has never been outstanding he said if you uh, harvest enough with this I'm gonna put a notch in this barrel my grandpa was a gunsmith too and he made oh. some and so it was like it was just a lot that went into that you know like here I am with this gun that's been like a family thing and I'm out here by myself like first elk hunt in my immediate family besides like you know my grandpa and so it was just a lot it was a lot of emotions and so empowering I called like first thing called my husband and he was like you got it didn't you I was like yes he was like no way gosh you know and so all kids are like "Ah," in the background you know and it, it that's just those are precious moments that you're just like you know for me, I'm a homemaker first in my family. I'm here to serve my family first. Like that is my job. All this other stuff is secondary. But for me, hunting is a part of that. Not only am I preparing the food and feeding my family, I'm going and harvesting the food to bring to my family. And that is like a full circle moment for me. And what I care about the most is, you know, feeding my family. And so, yeah, that's probably one of my favorite times hunting. <laughs> wow. That was an amazing story. I, I love that. And I feel like I loved too, what you said about like, we're out here suffering, you know, we, <laughs> we've all been there. And I think that does, even if you don't harvest anything, I feel like at the end of it, you feel like you did something that day, you know? Yes. Yeah. And I, it's like, and then, and it's only like 10 o'clock because yeah. it's like four. <laughs> yeah. Uh, duck hunting especially I I think is that way yes oh my gosh yes you have to love duck hunting I feel like definitely as you get later into the season you know um but yeah it's it's uh I think people watch you know they see you know an an Instagram story or you know a, a 30 minute tv show but really in reality like you said like they travel across the country they actually might have been in that place for like 2 weeks you know yeah. trying to figure it out and or you know hunted that spot you know 15 i i actually posted that last year i said so i countless sits have went into me harvesting this deer you know as and and it doesn't always happen the first time you know yeah and so yeah uh, love that All right, we are going to transition to our weekly closer, hits and misses. I would love to hear something that you've been aiming for and how it went. Oh, let's see. Um, What I've been aiming for, I I have really just been aiming to be more of a well-rounded hunter. And, you know, not just kind of box myself off in one type of thing. And so actually upcoming, I had a friend ask me if I wanted to go out of state to Kansas and do some Perry chicken hunting. And so I don't know how it went yet because I haven't went, but <laughs> I'm like, you know, I will do that. I, I'm really not a bird person, but you know, my friends get me out of my element. And so, um, just getting out there the most, you know, I, I, I hunted opening weekend. I actually passed up a small little buck. Um, he was little, but, um, my husband's like, why did you do that? <laughs> Cause he's like, <laughs> my husband is like, if it's Brown, it's down. Like, yeah. we're, we're, you know, and I'm like, well, I just know I have some opportunity coming up to maybe harvest a bigger one. And, uh, I, I, I manage this little area and I know I want my kids to come hunting. So I'm like, I'll save you for one of my kids, you know, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's kind of what I'm aiming for just to kind of get out there and do more different hunting that's well-rounded it's a good aim i'm i'm with you on that yeah we're going grouse hunting next week for the first time we i guess i have a a miss um we went deer hunting deer camp i didn't get anything didn't even see anything but i put somebody else in a spot and they saw deer so i kind of i counted that as like an assist um it's like a win because like the biggest thing of getting people in the outdoors is mentorship and And so, you know, putting somebody somewhere and them seeing something is, you know, that's a pretty good win. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to take it. 
I, I will say one of the <laughs> funny things, I don't know, I don't know if this qualifies as a hit or a miss, but I noticed myself like, so the first morning I went out, I had my daughter on my back and I was walking. I wasn't going to sit. So I was just walking, you know, like extremely slow molasses in winter mm-hmm. style. And yeah. um, she fell asleep because she woke up too early and was overtired. So she was asleep on my back and I was like, okay, this is going to be awesome. You know? And for a while I was like, if something steps out right now, I'm going to kill it. And nothing did. And then she woke up and was really not happy. <laughs> so, and she did, you know, she was just screaming. She was screaming and I was like, oh my gosh, anybody within one mile of us hates me right now. But I noticed that while I was walking and she was screaming, I was still walking like quietly and as softly as possible. <laughs> just out of habit and I caught myself doing this like what are you doing you need to get to the truck like you're done but I just thought that was kind of funny maybe maybe that's a hit um some muscle memory or well yeah for sure you're still in it and you know I think it's great to have our kids out there because these are the moments they'll remember about mom you know she's still young but like eventually she'll start catching on like you know mom always was consistent with this I hope so. Yeah. Or at least the feeling, like the feeling of being Mm -hmm. outside and doing all that. I do hope so. I got a cute little video of us scouting the day before where I looked at her and I was like, Charlie, what do you have to do when you're deer hunting? And she puts her finger up to her mouth and she's like, shh. Yeah. (laughs) No, if she can actually adhere to that, that'll be the next step. Yes. Yes. A little bit older, (laughs) but yes. Yeah, for sure. Well, Bethany, thank you so much. It was wonderful to talk to you and hear your story. And I know that you are an inspiration for, I'm sure, not only girls and women out there, but just a lot of new hunters. So thank you for that as well. Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And I can't wait to just get more involved with Artemis and stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for this opportunity. Absolutely. Well, thanks for joining us this week on the Artemis podcast. We hope you're having a great week. Until next time, be bold, stay curious, and get outside.